At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, December 9th, 2022. It's been 3,208 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 289 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment was correct that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Sadovyakin, would increase operational tempo at all costs to create a political victory. Employing the same strategy as his predecessor, Colonel General Alexander Lapin, on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Second, We maintain that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization, and it's almost certain that the second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023, despite Kremlin denials. Third, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Fourth, We maintain there is an extreme risk of continued terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure through December 22nd. Fifth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Sixth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident— caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction, is possible. Seventh, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin, with the Russian information space outraged over the drone strikes on Russian airbases. Eighth, we maintain that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Surovyakin, Commander-in-Chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Ninth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective, 
and can only mount effective defensive operations. 11th, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. Weather conditions were poor in many areas of Ukraine, with a combination of freezing rain, freezing fog, sleet, and snow. Operational tempo was reduced in many regions. The Russian Ministry of Defense made numerous claims of airstrikes across the front that, given the poor conditions, low visibility, low ceiling, and a lack of precision munitions, were dubious at best. The weather is expected to warm up. There were no reports of fighting around Novoselivsky, with Russian forces shelling Ukrainian positions throughout the day. Fighting continued in Ploshanka and Chervonopopivka, with the situation unchanged. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported troop positions in Pishane were shelled, indicating that even if Ukrainian forces were driven out of the town, they are mere meters from taking physical control of the P-66 highway ground line of communications, called GLOCs, those are supply lines. We move the line of conflict further east into parts of Pishane. Quick assessment here. While some Russian social media channels claim that territory is being taken back, mercenaries from Wargonzo left the Kremina region with only a terse sentence in their report, quote, To the north, in the area of Krasnopopivka and Ploshanka, there were oncoming battles, end quote. Kremina is not at immediate risk, but based on all available intelligence, the Russian strongpoint is in a salient, with Ukraine attacking from the north and south not in the direction of Kremina, but flanking the Russian defensive positions from both sides. If Ukrainian forces are moving down the slopes of the ridgeline west of the P-66 highway GLOC, Russian forces will have an increasingly difficult time maintaining their defensive positions. Positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. In occupied Luhansk, Pervomaiske was hit by rockets fired by HIMARS, according to the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, JCCC. Photos appeared on social media showing the damage, but no additional information was available. The LNR JCCC also reported that Rubizhne was hit by rockets from HIMARS and Svatova was heavily shelled. In northeast Donetsk, the GSAFU reported that Spirne was shelled and hit by airstrikes, while the Russian Ministry of Defense and mercenaries with Rybar reported continued fighting. Attacks by the private military company Wagner Group on Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, and Berestova continued, with no change in the situation despite yesterday's claims of glorious Russian successes. Andrei Ilyenko's report on December 7th that Russia was throwing, quote, all combat-ready units of its army into the Bakhmut direction was accurate. Despite the poor weather conditions, fighting was very intense, and the situation for Ukrainian forces deteriorated due to the onslaught. We were correct in our assessment that the private military company or PMC Wagner Group's claim to have captured Yakovlivka was false. 
The Russian MOD inadvertently confirmed fighting was still ongoing in its morning report, while Rybar tried to backpedal, claiming cleanup operations were still ongoing. The somewhat more reliable Wargonzo reported fighting continued with little change in the situation. There were no other reports, and the general staff did not mention Yakovlivka on the list of settlements where attacks were successfully repelled. The situation is likely very difficult and fluid. Fighting also continued east of Solidar with no reported changes in the situation. The situation southeast of Bakhmut has deteriorated for Ukrainian troops in the last 24 hours. Combined Russian forces have secured the stronghold at the T-504 and E-40 highway junction and have advanced to the garbage dump. Ukrainian forces have fallen back to the outskirts of the city. PMC Wagner did advance further east during the fall, with fighting reaching the ponds and dams separating the eastern edge from the urban center. Russian forces are using the same tactics they used to capture Severodonetsk and Lusychansk, which left the Russian army combat destroyed while celebrating a Pyrrhic victory that crumbled two months later. The attacks destroyed the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, the 2nd Army Corps of the LNR, and Chechen Akhmat units, which have only played a minor role in Ukraine since early July. Russian and PMC Wagner commanders push waves of Mobix and penal unit conscripts into Ukrainian lines, alternating with heavy artillery barrages. The tactic is to obliterate everything so nothing is worth defending and forcing a retreat. Fighting continued four kilometers south of Bakhmut in Opitne, with no change in the situation. Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Klishivka and Wargonzo reported continued fighting in the area of Kurdyumivka. In southwest Donetsk, poor weather and an intense focus on Solidar Bakhmut likely contributed to a reduction in operational tempo. Elements of the DNR 1st Army Corps retook the southern edge of Vodyana after being pushed out late last week. Fighting continued in Pervomaiske, with DNR separatists pushed further east. A video released by Russian sources as a see-how-good-we-are-at-war flex revealed that Ukrainian forces are operating in the area of the monastery in Pisky. From 50 to 56 seconds, artillery strikes on the already badly damaged monastery were recorded, with a video showing that the pond adjacent to the complex is frozen solid. Given the known weather conditions, the video is at least two days old. We've coded Pisky as contested with Ukrainian forces re-establishing a toehold in the northwest corner near the E-50 highway. This comes 24 hours after our favorite FSB colonel convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah and former Mobik Igor Girkin Strelkov wrote a blistering assessment of the ongoing special military operation. On his Telegram channel, he broke down the Russian efforts in Ukraine into nine phases, writing for phase six, quote, an amazing and inimitable months-long frontal assault on enemy positions in areas prepared in advance by Ukraine, culminating in the capture of the most powerful fortress and the most important city of Ukraine, the urban settlement of Pisky. End quote. We've really missed the keen insights of Strelkov, and with the most recent videos showing the situation, he is probably tippity-typing away at a hundred blyats per minute. Fighting in Marinka was positional, as the 1st Army Corps efforts appeared to be dwindling. 
A video showed a lone tank of the DNR advancing west on Prokofieva Street, which our team geolocated. The tank was east of the slag heap and just west of the Minsk II border between the DNR and Free Ukraine. The area has been obliterated compared to the September War Gonzo video filmed in the same region. In that infamous video, pro-Russian troops declared it was time to leave at, quote, maximum speed after the drone they were flying had been taken over by Ukrainian forces using electronic warfare. It was another day, and there was another attack on the eastern edge of Novomikhailivka with absolutely no change in the situation. The glorious traditions of the First Army Corps were maintained. Russian sources claimed Ukrainian troops attempted to advance on Mikhilska without success. The People's Militia of the DNR released their 5 o'clock Follies report, claiming their forces destroyed a self-propelled howitzer, two main battle tanks, or MBTs, and 10 units of, quote, armored and automotive units. Their report had a fun typographical error, claiming that Ukrainian forces completed 150,000 fire missions using grad rockets and 122, 152, and 155-millimeter artillery. Power was knocked out to large sections of Donetsk due to artillery and exacerbated by winter weather. Korlivka and Donetsk continue to be shelled. Russian forces shelled Toretsk, west of Khorlivka, striking a residential area and killing one person. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents in Kherson. Russian forces launched one of the largest artillery barrages since retreating across the Dnipro, conducting 68 fire missions on the Free Ukraine territories, wounding eight people and an additional report of two civilians killed. Russian forces shelled another hospital in Kherson, damaging the children's ward and the morgue. The Ukrainian government evacuated hospital patients in late November after a different hospital and a psychiatric care facility were hit by artillery. The Kherson suburb of Chornobaivka was also shelled, along with residential areas of Bereslav. Ukrainian forces targeted Russian assets in Radensk, Hola Pristan and Kahovka. In Russian-occupied Novomikolaivka, an ammunition depot was destroyed, with multiple secondary explosions recorded. There was no change in the operational situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Enerhoatom reported that Russian forces have brought S-21 multiple-launch rocket systems into the ZNPP compound and deployed them near Reactor 6, in defiance of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA. The state-run company said they had notified the IAEA about the situation. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba said that Ukraine was still working with the IAEA to establish a demilitarized zone around the nuclear power plant. Wargonzo appeared to confirm the report that an ammunition depot in Russian-occupied Tokmak was destroyed on December 7th. The GSAFU reported artillery, rocket, and HIMARS strikes on Berdyansk, Tokmak, Melitopol, Enerhodar, Niprorudne, Polohi, and Vasilivka, wounding 240 Russian troops, destroying three ammunition depots and 20 pieces of military hardware. Along the line of contact, there was only sporadic artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv to mali Shirabaki. 
In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, there are 13 ships of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, including a Kilo-class submarine capable of launching four caliber cruise missiles. Russian occupation forces have re-established the bridge between the Kherson Oblast and Arabat Spit. Occupied Kherson Gauleiter Vladimir Soldo, recovering from being attacked by the Kherson Zurakun last week, claimed that the bridge repair was to support, quote, tourism, and they expected up to one million people to visit in 2023 to enjoy the Black Sea. I'm sure it will be great. Russian forces shelled Kutsurub and Ochakiv, striking civilian infrastructure, residential areas, and farm buildings. There were no casualties reported. The aftermath of the December 8th S-300 anti-aircraft missile strike on Mykolaiv revealed that 21 buses and other transit equipment were damaged in the attack. In western and central Ukraine, in Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces struck Nikopol, Chervonohryurivka, and Marinka with grad rockets fired by MLRS during a 12-hour barrage. Power was knocked out to parts of Chervonohryurivka. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Cherniev, the border towns of Kremyak and Khrenivka were shelled for the second day in a row. Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Romadas of Shalakhin and Khotin were hit by 55 mortars fired from across the international border. There was no damage or injuries. Kharkiv was hit by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack, narrowly missing private homes and wounding four people. Ukrainian air defenses intercepted three of the four missiles, with debris falling in unpopulated areas. Poor weather, including snow and freezing rain, forced Ukrainian officials to close all main roads overnight. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Well, I guess it was expected, but once again, it's been zero days since the Kremlin has talked about nuclear war aloud. Sergei Ryabkov, deputy minister of foreign affairs of Russia, said that Russia's nuclear triad is, quote, at a high level of readiness, so the country's security is ensured. Quick sidebar, the nuclear triad is a superpower military doctrine of having nuclear weapons delivered by ICBMs, aircraft, and submarines. The three pieces of the triad work together to provide options for a number of scenarios. Bombers are inherently slower, allowing military and government leaders to respond to a potential threat while continuing negotiation and evaluation. Missile forces enable a rapid response, including first-strike capability, while submarines can provide a fail-safe if surface forces have been destroyed or strike from a short range, limiting possible responses. When asked about the United States House of Representatives passing an $858 billion military budget for 2023, that's 10 times larger than the 2023 Russian budget, Ryabkov said that the spending does not affect Russia's, quote, determination in defending its own interests. The day after Russian President Vladimir Putin compared himself to Peter the Great, and expressed that one of the successes of the special military operation was the establishment of new territory for Russia, 
Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told reporters that Putin wants peace. He told reporters, quote, There's a lot of work to be done to liberate the territories. In a number of new regions of Russia, there are occupied territories that have to be liberated. End quote. A gentle reminder here that President Putin has stated for over a decade all he wants is peace. Just a little peace. Just a little piece of Poland, a little piece of Moldova, a little piece of Ukraine, a tiny little piece of Finland, just a bit of Lithuania. You get the picture. In Odessa, the security service of Ukraine arrested two Russian spies scouting locations of Ukrainian air defenses and ammunition storage points for a future cruise missile strike. Citizens of Russia, the married couple moved to Odessa in 2018 and are accused of being a sleeper cell activated at the start of the war. The United States Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, said that President Putin has lost on all fronts, and Ukraine can continue to take the initiative over the winter months, telling reporters, quote, There is still a lot of fighting ahead, but at this moment, the situation on Earth is such that the lines are stabilizing, and with the onset of winter, everything will slow down a little. Then there will be a potential opportunity for an offensive. Let's see what happens. End quote. Slovakia announced it would restart production of 120 and 155mm NATO standard mortar and artillery shells. Slovak Foreign Minister Rostislav Kacer told reporters that the country has the capacity and facilities to start manufacturing between public and private partnerships, and they are working on starting production. Kacer also announced another aid package that included small arms and, quote, large-caliber ammunition, winter weather gear, and other military equipment. Social media reports claimed that Slovakia was also providing fighter aircraft. That is not correct, and the error was caused by AI-based translation software. South Korea donated 100 Sangyong Muso crew cab pickup trucks and several mini excavators. The United States has started the transfer of M-1117 armored infantry vehicles to Ukraine with a train carrying 37 units spotted in Romania. There's an editor's note here from David. It says, quote, On November 16th, I personally saw a military convoy of M-1117 vehicles towing M-777 artillery pieces between Seattle and Portland and M-1117s towing trailers with large generators. I did not share my dashcam video or report my observations to respect operational security. End quote. Reporting the brutalities of war while trying to balance a degree of snark and humor so we don't break your souls is more difficult than most people realize. We are constantly trying to find that balance, and sometimes we don't. But sometimes it finds itself. The Ukrainian SBU released a photo of a group of people being questioned for possible espionage-related activity, and the suspects' faces were blurred out. It's likely that before the photo was published, an AI-based tool was used to identify faces and pixelate them. Anyway, I encourage you to check it out on the Ukrainian SBU Twitter, or of course in our full situation report on Patreon, and maybe take a look at the cat. Speaking of questioning things, let's talk about Russian mobilization. What happens when you take thousands of convicted criminals from Russian penal units, give them military weapons and no training, and send them to a war zone? 
chaos. Chaos is obviously the answer. Chaos is what happens. Penal units are rebelling in larger groups against their commanders, surrendering and begging not to be returned to Russia, and suffering from low morale. I cannot imagine why. In less than a month, the first group of surviving PMC Wagner penal mercenaries will have completed their six-month contract and will be looking for their ticket home, a full pardon, and their bonus pay. Combined with a lack of rehabilitation and PTSD, sociologists worry this is a recipe for disaster in the Russian Federation as the pardoned so-called heroes return home. On November 30th, east of Donetsk, 21 Mobiks deserted with their weapons, including 13 members of a penal unit. Russian commanders ordered the arrest and extrajudicial execution of the rioters, and by December 5th, all had been captured and given their punishment. Oddly enough, the brutal and punitive motivation program isn't working. On December 7th, another platoon of 20 prison Mobiks deserted with their weapons near Donetsk. Security officials got into a firefight with at least some of the group, killing three of the AWOL Mobiks. The other 17 are still on the run. On the subject of psychological care, Russian mill blogger older than Edda lamented there is an acute shortage of qualified psychologists in the Russian Federation. The Russian government has launched an online education program that provides psychology certification in a year, including 400 hours of clinical time. PMC Wagner telegram channel Grey Zone reported that in the Svatova region, Wagner mercenaries have been visiting Russian Mobik units. Well, more likely fighting with them, as Wagner is spread out over a 100-kilometer front. They claim that many of the Mobiks are well-dressed and equipped, while a paragraph later reports that Russian troops are getting severe frostbite and freezing to death in the trenches. Supply interruptions, a lack of radio and communication equipment, and low motivation are continuous problems. Tankies and Votniks, we have good news and we have bad news, comrades. First, the good news. The First Guards Tank Army of Russia, which has been combat destroyed twice, has been reconstituted back to combat strength. The bad news? The unit is grossly understaffed, and thousands of the replacement forces are poorly trained Mobiks. This elite force, which was meant to defend Moscow in a theoretical NATO invasion, has lost over 500 main battle tanks and other combat vehicles since they were first deployed into the Kharkiv Oblast in early March. The Ukrainian Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense, or GUR, claims that the Kremlin is preparing to mobilize teenagers as young as 17 from the occupied territories. The United Nations considers anyone under 18 in the military a, quote, child soldier. Now, in the United States, high school graduates can enlist at 17 with permission from their parent or legal guardian, but are not allowed to serve in combat zones until they're 18. Some assessment here. If Russia starts to force teenage Ukrainians in the occupied territories into Mobik units, it is an extension of their genocidal policies. There is a new problem in the occupied territories. I mean, beyond armed deserter Mobiks and stealth mobilization. The region is suffering a con... There is a new problem in the occupied areas. I mean, like, beyond armed deserter Mobics and stealth mobilization. The region is suffering a concrete shortage. 
I know, how surprising. Almost all construction and public works efforts are suspended due to the growing shortages. Russian administrators blame sanctions, with some pointing out that the mass construction of half-height dragon's teeth and prefabricated bunkers might have something to do with it. The wintertime loss of the Kerch Bridge is biting hard, with ferry closures and delays backing up hundreds of trucks and massive traffic jams in Mariupol on the much longer and more dangerous route through southern Donetsk and Zaporizhia. Ice storms on Wednesday crippled Russian logistics, with no plan or equipment in place to treat Mariupol roads. While ice is an equal opportunity logistics killer, the destroyed railroad bridge over the Kerch Strait would likely have still been operational. According to Mediascope, there may be more open-source intelligence analysts, reporters, Vatniks, and tankies watching propagandists Olga Skabeyeva and Volodymyr Solovyov than Russian citizens. Only Skabeyeva's show, 60 Minutes, was in Russia's top 100 watched programs, ranking 62nd. The program Evening with Volodymyr Solovyov dropped out of the top 100 after ranking as high as 7th place in July. Before the start of the war in Ukraine, Russia was already suffering from a demographic and population crisis, which has only been made worse. While AIDS is no longer a death sentence, it does complicate dating, sexuality, and reproductive health. And according to the United Nations Program on HIV and AIDS, Russia now accounts for 3.9% of the world's new AIDS infections, climbing to fifth place. South Africa, Mozambique, Nigeria, and India occupy the top four spots. The Russian Ministry of Defense claimed it had destroyed 10 M142 and M270 HIMARS launchers in the last three days. PMC Wagner dismissed the claims on their Telegram channel, with Gray Zone writing, quote, Last night I slept with Irina Sheik, end quote. Irina Sheik is a Russian supermodel who once had a relationship with Ye, back when he was Kanye West. Is Ye connected to Moscow? Well, they need all the help they can get, especially now that Agent Whiskers has been compromised in Ukraine and sold out their contact for a piece of Black Sea salmon. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. WNBA basketball player and two-time Olympic gold medalist Brittany Griner was exchanged for convicted Russian arms dealer Victor Bout. Russian officials arrested Griner in St. Petersburg for having vape pen cartridges containing CBD oil just days before the start of Russia's special military operation. Griner denied she possessed the cartridges, but in court, claimed she had them because she didn't understand Russia's law, on the advice of her attorney, who told her she would get a more lenient sentence. Greiner was initially sentenced to nine and a half years in a maximum security penal colony, which was reduced to nine years in an appeal. Bout, once known as the Merchant of Death, was arrested in a sting operation in 2008. He's been in custody ever since and fought extradition from Thailand for two years. He was convicted in 2012 in United States federal court and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Accounting for the time he had spent in custody before his conviction, Bout was scheduled to be released in early 2029 and was being held in a minimum security prison. 
The exchange took place at the Al-Batin Executive Airport in Abu Dhabi. The Biden administration had been negotiating the release of Greiner and disgraced former United States Marine Paul Whelan, who was arrested by Russian officials in 2018 for espionage. Whelan was given a bad conduct discharge and busted in rank after being convicted of larceny of $10,000 or more in a court-martial. He was in Moscow working for Kelly's service as an IT security director at the time of his arrest. Whelan holds legal passports with the United States, Canada, Ireland, and Great Britain, and other nations have been working to secure his release. In July, there were reports that a tentative deal between Moscow and Washington had been reached. Whelan disappeared in mid-November and missed multiple scheduled contact calls with his family, raising alarms among his advocates. He was returned to a Russian penal colony on December 2nd, but would not tell family members or U.S. officials if he had been hospitalized. United States citizen Mark Fogel remains in the Russian prison system after his August 2021 arrest and summer of 2022 conviction for having 17 grams of medical marijuana in his luggage. He was sentenced to 14 years in the Russian penal system for having a trafficable quantity of drugs. The exchange has left almost no one happy except the Kremlin for the propaganda win. Russian state media was already reporting that Bout was maltreated while in United States custody and allowed Whelan to give an interview to CNN to express his disappointment at not being released. The Russian Federation asked the United Nations to investigate the wide-scale shelling of Donetsk on December 5th and 6th and to condemn Ukraine for the attacks on civilians. Stefan Ducharik, the representative of the UN Secretary-General, announced that investigators could not identify who has been shelling Donetsk. The International Committee of the Red Cross announced that last week they were able to visit Ukrainian POWs held by Russia for the first time since February 24th. The ICRC reported they visited with POWs for two days and provided them with hygiene products, blankets, warm clothes, and books. President Putin admitted that Russia is systematically destroying Ukraine's energy infrastructure intentionally as revenge for striking the Kerch Bridge, saying, quote, There is currently a lot of noise about our strikes on the energy infrastructure of the neighboring country. Yes, we are doing it. But who started it? Who hit the Crimean Bridge? Who blew up the power line from the Kursk nuclear power plant? And who did not supply water to Donetsk? Not supplying water to a city of millions is an act of genocide. No one has said a word about it anywhere. In general, there is complete silence. End quote. Quick note here. Hi, bestie. Malcontent News here. We've actually repeatedly covered the water and sewage outages in Donetsk since the first problem started. You, however, have had our website banned in Russia since March 23rd, and reportedly our chief content officer is on a hit list along with almost 5,000 other journalists and mill bloggers worldwide. Maybe you should get out of your bunker every now and then and touch some grass and stop with the Professional Victim Act. It's really, it's not cute. A United Nations report concluded that Russian troops had executed 441 civilians since February 24th in extrajudicial executions including 24 children. In Vatican City, during the daily prayer offered by Pope Francis, as he asked for prayers for Ukraine, he paused and started to cry. 
Through a trembling voice after gaining his composure, he continued. A quick note from our analyst team. Everyone on the team who saw the clip had the same reaction, because we've all experienced this. We have an idea of what inspired Pope Francis to write his prayer. The day before, the mayor of Lviv, Andriy Sadovi, presented the pontiff with a cross that included a piece of shrapnel that had been removed from a Ukrainian child's body. During that ceremony, Pope Francis compared Russia's actions in Ukraine to Operation Reinhardt, the start of the Nazi final solution, and the mass extermination of Poland's Jews. Sergei Haidai, Luhansk Oblast, administrative and military governor, reported that Kadyrovites in the occupied territories are kidnapping Ukrainian children for, quote, re-education in Chechnya. So far, over a hundred teenagers have been sent to the Russian federal district for, quote, patriotic education. The United States Foreign Relations Committee adopted a resolution recognizing Russia's actions in Ukraine as genocide. The document requested United States President Joe Biden impose sanctions on Russia using the Magnitsky Act against people involved in genocide. The resolution is non-binding. In economic news, the Russian ruble was unchanged, holding at 63 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices continued their slide into bear territory, with WTI crude trading at $72 a barrel and Brent falling to 76 United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market dropped again to $2.05 a gallon, or $0.54 cents a liter, reaching the lowest price point since March 2021. Dutch TTF natural gas futures gave back their gains, falling to €137 Euros per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and €138 Euros for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures rose a few cents to $7.51 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.